Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. I am J.D. Fascinetti. Today, we are delighted to welcome to our microphones Amrit Pharma's President for the Americas, Sheila Frame. By way of background, Amrit Pharma, based in Dublin, Ireland, acquired Chiasma to provide added leadership and guidance in the development and commercialization of therapies for rare and orphan diseases. The acromegaly drug Micapsa was part of this acquisition. As we mentioned, Sheila serves as President America, where she is responsible for overall business across North and South America. She brings more than 20 years of pharmaceutical experience leading functions and businesses in the United States, Canada, and the Nordics. Most of her career has been in the specialty business of immunology, immuno-oncology, and epilepsy. Prior to Amrit, Sheila held several worldwide commercial and country general management roles with Novartis and Bristol-Myers Quibb. Sheila is currently the past president of the Central New Jersey chapter of the Healthcare Businesswomen Association. She is also a non-executive director of Thera Technologies, Inc. Sheila was recognized as a 2019 Woman of Inspiration and Influence by the Women Business Leaders of the U.S. Healthcare Industry Foundation. Sheila holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from New York University and a Master's of Business Administration degree from Concordia University. We caught up with Sheila last week at the Acromegaly Community Conference just south of the beautiful city of San Francisco, California. Here's our chat. Welcome, Sheila, to the Pituitary World News Podcast. It's a pleasure having you here. I'm so glad you're taking the time to chat with us. Uh, so thank you very much for uh, taking the time. And uh, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for you to tell us about Amrit and the history, the brand, your vision for the U.S., the new plans for the company and the, the uh, my capsa. Uh, so how did that come about? Well, thanks so much for having us, J.D. We're certainly thrilled to be joining you and, and your audience today to be able to talk about Amrit. Sure. So Amrit as a company is really only about six years old. And it started and was founded by a neurologist, actually, a physician, Dr. Joe Wiley. And he and our CFO felt that they could bring a pharmaceutical company forward focused entirely on rare and ultra-rare diseases. And they really felt that they had, I'm going to say, some magic in mm -hmm. terms of the way in which they wanted to commercialize products. So they really started in Europe. So our global head office is in Dublin, in Ireland. Wonderful and place. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they started with a, an agreement for two products over in Europe. And then in 2019, they were able to actually purchase this company, Agerion, which gave them their entree into the United States. So we've only been in the U.S. really for three years. Yeah. And um, I was fortunate to join them just a little over a year ago. And shortly after joining, we then acquired Chiasma. And we're super excited about now entering Acromegaly. So it's new to us, but we have very deep roots in lipodystrophy as well as in homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia. Mm -hmm. So a really specific focus 
in these relatively rare diseases with a passion for patients led by a physician, of course, you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And so I think what we're trying to do is really get much more intimate with the patients, providing a very heavy patient focus and patient support yeah. services. I had no idea that it was only six years old, and that, that gives uh, such a newness to it. There's so much energy on something new, isn't there? And you, I, I saw the video this morning here at the conference, at the Acromegaly conference, and I, I realized how much uh, passion there was because he was in the, on the video. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's a very, very exciting. And I think the whole team that we have now, I mean, a year ago in the U.S., we only had about 40 people. And I can tell you now, we've tripled the size of the company for the U.S. business. But I have the good fortune of having the U.S., Canada, and Latin America, So, which was new to me. I've yeah. not worked in Latin America before, yeah. um, but have lots of experience in Canada and the U.S. So it's really exciting. And for the U.S. team, what's particularly, I think, attractive for our employees is, one, we're all attracted to making a difference. Sure. Two, you've got people very much focused on improving patient care and feel that we have that opportunity. And three, I would say to be in the U.S., but to be able to participate globally is something that's quite unique, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. for our employees, sit on the global teams. Yeah. They get access to people all around the world, and that's great for yeah. somebody sitting in that's the U.S. That's fantastic about Latin America because yeah. there's so much need and the opportunities are so great. Fast. And yeah, yeah, so that's fantastic. And they're underserved, obviously. There's a lot of, they need a lot of, some places with very few options for patients so that's right this is wonderful yeah. yeah yeah i think in rare and ultra rare diseases as well you know and we've heard at the conference all day how difficult it is to get a diagnosis oh yeah and yeah. it takes years and people are in pain and that kind of thing so what really unites us at i am is to to really stand up and speak and provide hope to those people who might not yeah. otherwise have yeah it. yeah we've been working with some uh groups in latin america and i think as you know we're publishing in Spanish as, as well, so uh, this would be a great opportunity to... We're to, very much excited yeah. about partnering. Yeah, yeah, in yeah that regard. So let's talk a little bit about the state of new drug development in general and in pituitary and endocrine rare disease. So I'd like to hear or be interested in hearing your perspective on future opportunities and challenges for new medications, not just the oral, but uh, there seems to be a, uh, an upswing in a lot of development and your plans, let's say, trends and technology. Jeez. What do you think about AI and things like that? The exciting things about uh, that we hear all the time, you know, where things are progressing. Yeah, I mean, it is a very exciting area. I mean, science is just radically accelerating, yeah. right? And the, the vaccine for COVID-19 yeah, is a, a perfect example, example of our industry collaborating with each other and building on each other's strengths. And I think many of us in this industry hope that that is a new model for a way forward, you know, maximizing the strengths to get um, products to patients as fast as possible. At Amrit, we're focused in, I'd say, two particular areas. I mean, listen, with the TPE technology that we use for my CAPSA, it's not just for my CAPSA, for octreotide, right? Yeah. It is a so proof. So you acquired CAPSA, you acquired, acquired the technology. TPE technology, exactly. That's fantastic technology. It is. And yeah. so it's great that we put octreotide into the technology and it worked sure. and we were able to, to bring it to market. We're under review in Europe right now, but obviously we are launched in the US. But there are other large molecules 
molecules that very well could work with the TPE technology. So for you know other biologics, there is a proof of concept at least now that we could do that. Yeah. I think the second big area that we're focused on is we're part of this coalition of companies called the Rare Disease Company Coalition because one of the challenges when you're focused in rare and ultra-rare diseases is just the rules of the road, whether it's regulatory around development or like how, how do you go about when you're treating, and we, we are in treatments right now that have fewer than 300 patients in the U.S., it's very hard to mount a clinical trial oh, to get your statistics yeah. where yeah. you need them to be, right? So the whole policy shift has to start to focus on how can we accelerate the drug development pathway for these diseases. So as science accelerates, we're accelerating the discovery, the identification, personalized medicine, all of those things. We need to make sure that our regulatory authorities around the world keep pace with that. Yeah. So that's where I think the technology will start to enable it. And I think what's interesting when you look at the excuse me, when you look at the COVID case in particular, I just happened to be with somebody in the vaccine development business three days before the US shut down. And he looked me in the eye and said, Sheila, four years. And it, it took us less than two, right? Yeah, so right. when people enough. come together, and I think again at Amrit, that's where we feel that patients getting directly involved, not only in their own individual care, which this conference has been about, which yeah. is fantastic, right? Take charge but also getting them directly involved with the design of our clinical trials to make sure that patient reported outcomes become part of the approval process. Yeah. So the TSQ and acromegaly, I think, is a really good example of where patient reported outcomes become part of the regulatory approval process, giving patients the power to actually say to their physician, let's have a different dialogue here. Yeah. This is what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, and that's really shifted. Tremendously, and do you think then the the greatest barrier is the regulatory to drug development, or one of them, for the regulators to keep up with the pace of development? Yeah, I absolutely think that that's one of our bigger challenges. Not yeah. the only one, but it is one and those for guys rare. Are set in their ways, aren't they? Well, and governments <laughs> move slowly, sure. right? I yeah. actually think there's a shift now because I think you can't wait for government to lead. I think the industry needs to lead and patients will be the catalyst yes. to get governments to take action. At the end of the day, patients are voters yeah, of <laughs> and that's how we'll get change. Yeah, yeah. But I think we've, we've got some recognition now. Um, Europe has a bit of a different procedure when they look at these drugs. But in the U.S., I think there's a recognition that rare and ultra rare diseases do really require a different approach when we're thinking about it. Yeah. Having experts, actually access to experts, I think is hugely important for the FDA. They can't rely on having somebody who's not in the field reviewing some of this stuff yeah. or setting the bar for how we need to go about clinical trials. And that's where technology, one, accelerates it, two, requires some different approaches yeah. and customized approaches, yeah. I think, as we go forward. Yeah. One of the things that we, we hear where, you know, it seems like the 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 FDA or they're a little behind when it comes to you know market mainstream marketing's been about the voice of the patient, patient. for twenty five years or since the eighties you know putting the patient at the center of or the consumer at the center of all planning and discussions and everything else it seems like that's taken hold in the in the in the drug development business in the pharmaceutical business. In some yeah. of the divisions at the FDA are way ahead of others, yes. right? It's yeah. it's an it's a it's an incremental piece as yeah. people change that, depending that, on the leadership. That patient-focused um, um, 
uh, meaning that the acromegaly community had was really interesting, very, very helpful. I thought some very good things came out of that. Yeah, exactly. It, even if it's the exercise of having, of listening to people, whether, you know, the, the findings are okay or not, just the exercise, I think it's, it's great. So. Yeah, I think it's really important to make sure that the voice of the patient, and certainly Jill Cisco has been incredible in leading the acromegaly community and making sure that there's an opportunity for that. Yeah. How about the access uh, to medication? What what's your your uh, what your what your uh, POV a point of view? Yeah, it's such a heavy no. It is. So I said regulatory was only one part of yeah, it. Yeah. I think um, you know when we look at the way in which the access organizations have really started to dig in deep to prevent patient access is sad, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of effort that we as an industry put into supporting patients. But I have some very serious concerns when pharmacy benefit managers now earn more money off of pharmaceutical products than the pharmaceutical yeah. manufacturers do. And that money's not going back into research. Yeah, yeah. And so that scares me a little bit. And the burden on patients, when you listen to what they go through, you know, so every year they have to get a new prior authorization. Every year they, if they switch insurers, they start over again with the insurer. And the insurance companies who are now all vertically integrated, so they own everything from the insurer insurance to the health plan to the pharmacy benefit manager to the specialty pharmacy down to the pharmacy level they're completely vertically integrated and that gives them an incredible amount of control over our healthcare system yeah. which honestly feels like a it's heck of a barrier isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you said it <laughs> i can't i don't have a so I've been working with um, an idea yeah. with some of our partners. <clears throat> I think there's an opportunity in rare diseases to figure out a partnership with the healthcare provider and the patients to almost go through prior authorization once, and then it's up to the physician to make sure that you're still suitable for that yeah. medication in partnership with the patient. But to have this blanket rule of step therapy, of like whatever the roadblocks are, I think is just unacceptable in the context of rare disease. Because if we think about acromegaly and the length of time that it takes for people to get diagnosis, then the number of barriers that they take before they can get treated, everything, right, from surgery, waiting for it, how is it afterwards, all of these steps that they go through, it just feels like we're adding to their pain. Oh. We're not enabling it. And, and uh, you know, from the physician standpoint, the work that they have to do and the staff they have to have, have. to help every patient go through this mess that they have to go through every time they need it. Sometimes even a new dose yep. triggers a you know prior authorization or a new approval process. And the work, I mean, I know in the case of the physicians that we work with, that, that talk to us about all of this, they go through exactly the same thing. We have staff that is just doing this. That's all they time, do, exactly. Which adds to the slowness of everything and patients more anxiety and the rest. And of it. waiting. Yeah. Right? And they're yeah. not honestly. It doesn't add value to the health. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. make you healthier. No. Right. No. Exactly. So well, it it makes you more anxious, which is not healthy. You know, I think, and and I think there are you know some real issues with Medicare and and which is also just a problem unto itself. I yeah, think. the complexity. Complexity and the, the co-pays. Yeah. 
you know, the copays are very complicated and very high for people that are on fixed incomes. It's just uh, unsustainable. Even though there are, you know, there are companies or there are people that help patients with that, it's still not accessible for everybody. And there's a lot of people that are going either without medication or without something else because they have to pay. Those are difficult choices. Very, yeah, very difficult, difficult choices that aren't yeah. just aren't our values, yeah, right? Exactly. But I do think that there's some kind of a magic around getting the providers, the patients, and our industry together in these rare and ultra rare spaces to try to avoid this because there's yeah. no reason that you should have to go through a medical exception letter every single year if yeah. you're suffering from acromegaly. Yeah, exactly. it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So it's a long-term chronic illness that needs to be managed and, and treated properly, but surely you shouldn't have to go through that process every year. Yeah, and it sounds we've been you know, working or thinking through, okay, where do you provide, if you can organize patients for public policy and that you can provide some impact, and you know, in this case, maybe a 10-degree adjustment creates 180-degree 100 impact, or a bunt, to use a baseball team, is a, it's a home run. Yeah. Uh, then where where do you think patients should be applying the Their most effort? Pressure? Yeah, where where do you think would make? Is it at Congress? Is it with uh, organizing? You know, we've been th- talking to other rare diseases, not just pituitary, that are in the same boat. Say, okay, what if we put a coalition of rare disease? I know, for example, that Global Genes does yeah. that, and Nord, Nord. but yeah. they seem to me too broad, too big. These need to be sort of related, smaller groups that can make more noise. What are your thoughts on that? So I definitely think that a coalition of organizations can make a difference and have because I do think that all of these organizations have raised the profile of the challenges for someone suffering from rare and ultra rare diseases. I think we're going to have to pick one issue at a time Mm -hmm. and simplify it because anytime you try to talk to somebody about healthcare in this country, it's complicated. And you know, if we were going to design it from the from starting over again, you would never have picked this system. Right? No. But no. there's also 350 million people in America, yeah. and it is incredibly difficult to deliver healthcare that way. So I, I guess the approach that I, that we're working with is to try to pick one or two key issues that are federal, and then you know we have also got 50 states, each of which have a piece of Medicare, Medicaid, you name it, right? All these government programs. So where's the biggest pain point? So I think prior authorization, medical exception, that kind of thing is pretty tough. And we all try to simplify it at the patient level, but it's gonna take, I mean, patients need to look after themselves too. And an illness where it affects your everyday life. And again, I I just cannot credit the acromegaly community and some of the efforts that you and your your colleagues have had because you do have an impact. I mean, it has made a difference. But let's pick one or two and resolve it. And there's a lot of noise today, I think, in in Washington in particular, but I think with others around this notion of prior auth. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're, even if I'd say pharmacy benefit managers are putting up barriers, it costs them a lot of money to have that many people denying claims all yes, the time, right? That's their, so it seems to be the number one priority. <laughs> so I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. I, I mean, it feels no, that no, way when you're on the receiving, way, sure. when you're on the receiving end sure, of it, right? Sure. So is there something that we can do for for rare disease and ultra rare disease to avoid that? Like once once your physician has made the case 
and you are ready to take that treatment. And the treat, I mean, the treatment has to be monitored to make sure it still works for you of over course. time. But you shouldn't have to go through this whole, get it once, get it approved, and then the renewal every year should just be a confirmation that your coverage continues to be the same and something hasn't changed. Yeah. But you shouldn't have to go through the medical process yeah. again. It'll lighten the load for HCPs, it will lighten the load for patients and give you confidence that, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get it covered. Like it is gonna be covered, because that's part of the anxiety. Yeah, of course. You go to yeah. the pharmacy counter and you're not sure, is it gonna be covered, is it gonna, am I gonna get it delivered, aren't I gonna get it delivered, yeah. right? So and In many cases, you don't even know sometimes what how high the copay is going to be? That's right. And you can't you can't ask the question because they don't know. They don't know yet until they, they try to put it through the system. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's it's. Uh, so you know, transparency is a big theme right now that yeah. we're all talking about across the healthcare mm-hmm. system. Um, so I do think that there's a real opportunity for us to work together again. Yeah. It has to, but it's going to have to be the mobilization of the whole community. Yeah. And transparency seems to lead to simplification, which is part of the, the transparency equation, I guess, because uh, I remember when we first start th- started thinking about it this three or four years ago, we said, well, first thing is to learn how it works. Let's just figure out how it works. And the funny thing about that is the closer you get to figuring out how it works, the murkier it gets. Oh, for sure. you know, so it's just like this gray thing that nobody seems to have an explanation for. So it's even difficult to understand how it works. Well, we're in the system. Yeah. It's not easy. No. We're all patients at sure. some point, sure. right? Sure. It is not easy to navigate the yeah. U.S. healthcare system no. at all. No. So I'm very compassionate. And we at Amherst do everything we can. As I said, the good thing about rare disease is you do get to know the patients almost, I'm going to say personally, but you do develop that very tight, close relationship with those that treat and, and with those who suffer. So yeah. it, it helps fantastic. us come up with better solutions, I hope. Yeah, you know, I think like you're saying, this is a, sort of a, a, a village, a, a, sort of it takes a village thing, no? That's right. Yeah, to use an awful... <laughs> it takes a village to yeah. to, to cure. A, a, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it, it's a it group does. effort to, yeah. to, uh, for to sure. maybe find some solutions. But so. it's time for the patients to really take some leadership. I think. I think there's a big opportunity there. Yeah. So we talked about that. We talked about the um, access to medication, and the, you you mentioned the PBMs, the famous uh, um, pharmacy benefit pharmacy managers, benefit managers yeah. and that seems to be, from what we've learned too, that we're the biggest issue is in related to cause um, so um, I know that b- because what I've been reading and the people that I know from Amrit that you're a very patient-centered organization uh, so can you tell me how you go about making sure that the you you take into consideration the voice of the patient obviously the fact that you're here makes a big statement yeah. <laughs> of, uh, you know, the, uh, but how that work, how that patient work gets included into or weaved into the research and new development or programs or, the, or uh, support? I think, um, you know, as someone who's been in the industry for almost 30 years, I have to say I think it's really such a privilege to work in an area that is really all about patients at the end of the day, right? I mean, whatever we do and everything we do is top of mind. I think Amrit is a bit different in that for me, at least, it's the first time that I've worked directly for a founder and that's also... Like, it's like a family. Yes. <laughs> And you think about the Irish culture, it's very much that. That's (laughs) very cool. And he's a physician. Yeah. So, and interestingly enough, I would say through the pandemic, um, he personally directed sort of how we were going to 
you know, continue to work. And I think our employees gave him huge credit for... Because your U.S. development, I mean, U.S. position happened in the middle of COVID. That's right. So That's you didn't right. have opportunities. It's all Zoom. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, when they hired me, I didn't meet the founder in person for five months. Yeah. And we went through the acquisition to acquire my CAPSA. So yeah. I hadn't met him until he had a chance to come out because, of course, Ireland was shut down. The U.S. Sure. was shut down. None of us were traveling. Yeah. So so um, it has been quite a journey for us. But I think, you know, we have really focused on how we provide that one-to-one almost support. Thank you. You've seen we have nurses who are here to support patients directly, um, at least, on, you know, as patients come on to my CAPSA, then they have the resource of actually mm-hmm. speaking to a nurse, making sure that they're getting the support that they need, making the connection back in. We've also expanded. So my CAPSA originally came into the marketplace with a real focus on the pituitary centers, because that's often where patients will get, have their surgery and then um, be treated, yeah. uh, you know, afterwards. So we've actually expanded that now and we're talking to the community endocrinologists. And so, you know, really we're right launching, I would say right now. I mean, yeah. it, it, yes, it's been around for a little bit, but I think as um, Dr. Katz Nelson said this morning, it's the newest kid on the block. Yeah. And I think what we believed when you think about the TPE technology, it really was developed as a way to give patients an alternative that probably will provide a different choice and a different option. And I think if you're really patient-centric, those are the things that you're thinking about. Sure. How can I make sure that um, you know patients have options to choose what's right for them? Because I do think personalized medicine, we're all talking about it, yeah. right? Diagnostics yeah. is getting to the point where I know exactly what the genetic make- makeup of this is, and this is the right treatment for it. Yeah. So well, it's the technology and the knowledge, I mean, the science. It's just amazing, yeah. and that I mean, the leaps and bounds things have been advancing. I don't think people get a have a. Uh, a I mean, everybody talks about it, but if you're a layperson, you really don't understand the um, how how much it's it's evolved. The acceleration too. The acceleration of knowledge. Yeah. Aided by technology and 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 everything else. And collaboration, yeah. right? I do think that the voice of the patient along with the industry scientists and the regulatory process. And again, I think the pandemic has been a perfect example of that. The world came together, the industry came together, we accelerated access to both medication treatments as well as the vaccine. So I hope, and I think most of our scientists hope that 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 is the way of the future and that we're gonna see exponential development. And I'm extremely optimistic that Neuroscience is the next wave, right? Oncology has had a big wave recently, and so this next big wave, I hope, will be in neurology because there's a ton of research that's ongoing. Yeah. yeah, And what an exciting time. I know. I know. It's fantastic. Especially as we all age. I'm hoping that we figure (laughs) out one of these. (laughs) I'm going to say same, Mom. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just shift up. a little bit to talk a little more about uh, my capsa and for our audience my capsa if you don't know is a somatostatin analog indicated for long-term maintenance and treatment of acromegaly who patients who have responded and tolerated uh, treatment with ocreotide or lenreotide so what do you hear from prescribing doctors and patients as you as, as, we you, get as it moves it. to you know more maturity in the market like the market has it been a year right that, 
or two. Oh, it will be, yeah, not quite two years, about 18 months since since it first became available in the marketplace. And as I said, the start was in the middle of the pandemic and really focused on the pituitary centers. Um, And so since uh, now I'm going to say January of this year, really, we've expanded. So we're starting to see a lot more community use now. Um, And as you thank you for just for reading our label, because you have to have responded to and tolerated the injectable first. So I think what we're hearing is physicians are excited to have another option. Octreotide is something that they're very familiar with. They know the efficacy, they know the safety, so they're familiar with it. And transitioning patients to um, the oral option, I think, just gives them that comfort that they know what the active ingredient is and how it works and it gives patients an option to to treat themselves and and take you know and and get that sustained control that they need and i think for us at amrit we have really revamped the patient support program so as i said earlier you know we've got nurses available for patients as they come on to make sure that they're getting the the support that they need and then we also have a pretty big patient copay program and support to get through the prior authorizations and the medical exceptions and all of those things so we we feel like we've got pretty good coverage across the u.s we're under review in europe so we're looking coming up pretty soon yeah yeah yeah. so we expect to hear from the chmp probably mid of the summer um, and then you know you go through your 67 days and and so um, so we are looking at how we can bring it to other other markets around the world so it's quite a process to get to the prescribing physician no it probably takes I'm gonna guess I don't know but I would guess quite a bit of time Time and effort. effort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the effort of our teams, both medically and and Amrit is really. I think if you asked um, Joe Wiley, he would tell you that we're medically led. So we have a big investment in medical affairs support, so that the physicians get medical support, and then we have a smaller commercial footprint who are now going into the community. But as you know, right, a community endocrinologist may not see very many acromegaly patients. Yeah, Yeah. And so they're excited to hear about it from our representatives, medical or commercial, they're very excited to hear about this option with my CAPSA yeah. and and the opportunity to offer it to their patients. Mm-hmm. So as we come out of the pandemic and offices open up, obviously endocrinologists were incredibly busy during the pandemic as well on other things yeah. and other priorities. So mm-hmm. we're certainly seeing a lot of excitement now around the opportunity to have another option for patients who suffer from acromegaly. Mm-hmm. So we're excited and we've committed as a company that we're going to develop it in um, neuroendocrine tumors as well. So this TPE technology isn't just for octreotide, right? I mean, we have a biologic ourselves, so obviously we're looking at a number of options okay. across the biologics so that um, patients would have yeah. an oral. An oral. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic it's exciting. technology. Yeah, we're yeah, excited about it. That's wonderful. So we're very fortunate to have it. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to do this. JD, thank you so much and your team for everything that you do for patients because well, it really is fantastic yeah. and it's great to work with you. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to meet you. Nice too. to meet you okay. too. Thank you. Take good care. You have been listening to an exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. And a reminder, you can now subscribe to our podcast using your favorite platform. And don't miss our live radio-style show, Live Talk, every Thursday, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, with discussions about pituitary issues and special guests. We encourage you to tune in and participate by calling in with questions and comments. Thank you for listening.